Would you open up your Bibles to the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 5? Romans, chapter 5. If you don't have your scriptures today, you can read along on the screen. And I'll begin at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I want to put a tag on this text. I don't want to call this message pressed to be the best, pressed to be the best. There are a lot of similarities between school and life. Can I get an amen? School, like life itself, is designed to be rigorous, arduous, and laborious. Whether you get your degree from Belmont University or you get your degree from Street University, it all is hard work. School, like life, has a way of pushing you to your limits. School, like life, is full of staged tribulations called tests. You have teachers who develop their syllabus, and they know when the tests are coming. Some of them will even tell you when the tests are coming. But there's another thing called the pop quiz. They don't normally tell you when that's coming. And the purpose of these tests is to find out what we know. And if we know enough, we'll pass. That's school. When school gives you a test, an exam, or a quiz, it's designed to find out how much you know. But when life gives you an exam, a test, or a pop quiz. It's designed to find out how much you believe. And there's a difference. Because everything we know, we don't believe. And for the Christian, we say we know a lot of scripture. But when we go through something, we find out how much scripture we really believe. And speaking of school, Paul, the great apostle, took the Roman church to graduation school or to grad school with his letter to them. This letter is so deep that many theologians call the book of Romans the constitution of the church. Now, time does not permit me to go and give you the background of of why the letter was written and what date it was written and all of that, but just know this, that in chapter 4, Paul decides to give that church a case study. And that case study 
was none other than Abraham, whom Paul called the father of faith. And he was the father of faith for people who were circumcised, speaking of the Jews. And he was also the father of faith for those who were not circumcised, speaking of Gentiles. And Paul uses Abraham to make a point that Abraham was justified or made right with God apart from the sign of circumcision. And so what that does is it gives hope to people who are not Jewish. It gives hope to people who are not circumcised because if Abraham could believe God and God could then accredit righteousness into his account, then that gives hope for us. But then Abraham would get circumcised later, proven to be a father to the Jewish people for those who were not only cut in the flesh, but above all, transformed in their hearts. You see, justification, oh, it's when God declares, views and treats a sinner as righteous based on faith. Let me say it one more time. Justification is when God declares, views and treats a sinner as righteous on the basis of faith. Justification is a one-time legal declaration that carries with it eternal and earthly benefits. And if you know from the book of Genesis, whatever God declares, it happens. Whatever God speaks, it comes to pass. So when God declares and speaks over us that we are righteous, dig this, as righteous as his only begotten son, because it's his only begotten son's righteousness that has been imputed or deposited over to us by faith apart from works. So we look just like Jesus to God the Father. That's justification. It's a legal term, and no court in hell can overrule the court's decision in heaven that by faith you've been justified, declared righteous on your way to being made righteous. Oh, this is why it's called the gospel. This is why it's good news, and this is why God deserves every praise. Because if Abraham could boast, Paul said, about his works, trying to get him to heaven. Paul said he might could boast, but he couldn't boast before God. We can only give all the praise to God because God did the work to save our souls from sin. So in chapter four, it ends with the word justification, how Jesus died and he was raised for our justification so that we might be made right with God, that he might declare, view, and treat us as righteous. And all of this happens by faith. That's the good news. And so in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, we see the eternal benefits of justification. There are eternal benefits and there are earthly benefits. So it says in chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, after all that I just spoke about in chapter 4, talking about Abraham being justified by faith. Therefore, speaking to the church, having been justified by faith, we have something. Paul, what do we have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God because at one time we were at war with God. 
We were at war with him. We rebelled against him. We inherited from Adam and Eve a disposition called sin. And not only did we inherit this cancer called sin, this disease called sin, but we also choose to sin as well. We rebel against God. We were at war with God, but God sent his son, Jesus, the prince of peace, that we might be brought and reconciled with God and have peace with him. And, and as the old folks used to say, when you have peace with God, you can have the peace of God. Because when you are at peace with God, it doesn't matter who's mad at you. It doesn't matter who's at war with you when you have peace with God. And then he goes on to say, we not only have this peace, but we also have access in verse 2 by faith. There it is again. Into this grace in which we stand. Because unbelievers can't stand before God. The Bible says in Psalm 130, O oh Lord, if you were to mark sin, who could stand? And that's why Jesus stood for us so that we could stand in the presence of God by grace. Thank God for what Jesus did. He stood in our place. And then we also have the eternal benefit of rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, we're going to heaven. We're going to see God. And not only will we see God, we're going to be made like God's son, according to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, where this old body is going to be transformed into a new body. This old thing must put on a new thing. This corruptible must put on incorruptible in order to be in the presence of the glory of God. When Moses was going into the promised land, he said, I just don't know if I can make it with these people, Lord, but if I can get a glimpse of your glory, I'll be all right. If I can just see you one time, that will energize my spirit. And God says, well, I tell you what, Moses, uh, uh, nobody can look on my glory and live. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put my hand over you and my back parts are going to go by. And the name of the Lord is going to be declared and you'll see my back parts. But when we get to heaven because of Jesus, we'll be able to see the front parts of the glory of God. So we have these eternal benefits. But I like how Paul says we ain't going to leave it there. We're not going to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly relevant. He says in verse 3. And not only that. So we've got these eternal benefits of peace with God. Access by the grace of God. And we have the hope of the glory of God. Death cannot separate us from the presence of God. The demons in hell cannot separate us from the glory of God. As a matter of fact, we have seats in heaven right now. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Romans chapter 8 verses 29 through 30 the Bible says to whom God justified, he also glorified. It's past tense. It's done in the mind of God, but I'm living in time and space, waiting to catch up with eternity. It's done because when God declares it, it's done. And can nobody separate me from that? This is why I can't lose my salvation because I didn't earn it in the first place. I can't undeclare what God has declared. I can't unglorify what God has already glorified. This ain't about me. This is all about him. So if I do get one crown in heaven, you best believe I'm going to take it off and cast it at his feet like the 24 elders did. Oh, he gets all the glory, but he doesn't leave it there. We're going to have time to worship in glory, but I got to talk to the Roman church and Strong Tower Bible Church in verses 3 through 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Wait a minute, Paul. 
I was having a good hallelujah, good time. And you had to bring them tribulations in. But Paul knew who he was writing to, that there were Christians in Rome who were dealing with the fact that they were acknowledging that Christ was king and not Caesar. They were acknowledging that Christ was the son of God and not Caesar. So he understood that they were undergoing tribulations. I like how S is on there. Tribulations, multicolored trials and persecutions. They were going through this, so they needed to know about the earthly benefits of justification. So since we have been justified, we now have an eternal perspective to view our earthly experiences. So when I look at what I'm going through, I just don't need to look at it with earthly lenses. I need to first put on my eternal lenses that I'm justified by faith and therefore I am seated with God. I am blessed by God. I'm one of his sons. I'm loved on and that helps me deal with the stuff I'm going through here in the dirty, dirty and the nasty here and now. Because if I don't first look at it through my eternal identity, man, I might be cussing and fussing and fighting in the dirty here and now, dealing with my tribulations. And so often I start to focus on what is seen as opposed to recognizing that what is not seen is eternal and it has greater authority than anything in the earthly realm. So tribulations are put in their proper perspective. And Paul even said in 2 Corinthians, they're light and momentary anyway, according to where we're going. And the sufferings of this present age, Romans 8, 18, it ain't even worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed unto us. So put it in perspective. And when you do, that's when you can glory in tribulations. And you can even say, Lord, thank you for this, even though I don't understand this, even though I don't like this, but I thank you, Lord, because this would not touch me unless it first came through your sovereign hands of grace. So what I'm going through, I can get through because you're in control of all things. Just if you save me, you'll take care of me. And the Bible says again in Romans chapter 8, if God did not spare his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things, including deliverance in the midst of tribulations? Oh, this is good stuff. Tribulations means in the Greek, sufferings. Anybody suffering? Just because you're saved don't mean you don't suffer. Is anybody here going through afflictions? That's what tribulations means. But above all, this word in the Greek means pressures. Pressures. Tribulation is when life presses you, or in other words, puts the squeeze on you. Tribulations, pressure, pressing, squeezing. And sometimes life and school will press you real good. And this word here is related to a word used in the first century antiquity of the Jewish people for olive press. And the olive press is the process of squeezing and pressing to get the oil out of the olive. There is a pressing on the outside that brings out the best on the inside. Without the press, the oil can't come out. The oil is the best part of the olive. And so the olive has to be pressed in order to be the best. 
And the oil that comes out of the olive through this tough process of pressing and tribulation, the oil that comes out of it is helpful to people. The oil that comes from the pressing is used to bless people because the olive oil is used for medicinal purposes. When the Good Samaritan saw the man who was beaten and half dead in the road, the Bible says that he poured oil on his wound. In the first century, they used oil just like we used Robitussin growing up. I don't care what happened to you. You could break your arm. Go get some Robitussin. Whatever you went through, Robitussin could fix anything. And then lay down and take a nap. Oh, wait a minute now. Hold on. And that's how they looked at that anointing oil. And not only that, they would use it for lotion. All black people, you know what I'm talking about. Our white folks don't really have to use lotion. But us, oh, we get ashy, don't we? And we thank God for some good cocoa butter, some good lotion that we can put on them elbows and on them knees especially, thank God. And that's how that oil was used. It was used as a lotion so that when you walked into someone's house in the first century, they would anoint you with oil because you've been out there in the dust. So they would put the oil on you and they would wash your feet. And not only would the oil get on you as a lotion, it was also like a perfume. It would go through the house and smell up the house. It was something that smelled good. So through the crushing, it would be used for medicinal purposes. It would also be used as a lotion, as a perfume, but even for cooking, for cooking, putting on food. And, and we know about cooking oil. We shouldn't be frying up too much chicken now that we know what's going on with all the stuff in our bodies. But we still will use that oil to fry stuff up. And so the oil was used for that. But above all, it was a consecration kind of a thing. Because when a king would be anointed, when a prophet would be anointed, they would pour upon their head the anointing oil that came from the olive that came from crushing. So Jesus Christ comes along as the anointed one because the oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So that when somebody in the church is sick, you call for the elders of the church and the elders go and we apply the oil. The oil is symbolic of the presence of the Holy Spirit overshadowing the sick. And the Bible says God will hear the prayers of the righteous and raise up the sick. Oh, there's so much power in the symbolism of the oil press. But I'm just here to let somebody know that God will press you to get the best out of you so that he can use you to bless other people. Because what you're going through just ain't for you. He's wanting you to get through that so that you can be a living testimony so other people can see the handiwork of God. That's why Paul said, when I write to you, we are living epistles because everybody ain't going to read this, but they will read you. And if they can read you after you've been through something, they can say, my, there must be power in the name of Jesus. So we got to stop thinking it's strange when these fiery trials and things start to press us. We got to stop thinking it's strange because God is using it. God is allowing it, if not ordaining it, so that he can show other people what God looks like when God walks through the valley of the shadow of death. He can show other people what God looks like when they trust the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Oh, my, my. I got to read something to you from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. One of Paul's most personal letters. He was broken down, busted, and disgusted in this letter, but he had the wherewithal to say to the church in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, uh, but we have 
this treasure in earthen vessels. Well, what's the treasure? Verse 6 says that the treasure is God who has shown in our hearts. The light of God is in our heart because there was darkness in our heart. But when God came in, because Jesus says, I will not only, the Spirit will not only be with you, He will be in you. So when the Holy Spirit comes in, God shines light in our hearts. And the Bible says in verse 7, but we have this treasure, we have this light, we have the Spirit of God in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Then he says in verse 8, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. So God will allow tribulations, pressures to press you, but he won't let it crush you. He won't put more on you than he can bear through you. Oh, no, 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 no. You and him can get through it together. You can get through it. We can get through it together. And God is like one of those good teachers who will press you to bring out the best you. Oh, man, when I was younger, I tried to stay away from the mean teachers. I wanted the easy teachers. I wanted the teachers who didn't even care what my work was as long as I showed up and I didn't cause too much trouble in the class. But as I started getting older and getting more serious about my education, I didn't want somebody that would just pass me by. I wanted somebody that would press into me because they saw the potential in me. And when I was in grad school, my favorite teacher was one that I really didn't like at first. His name was Dr. Bromwell Osula. And this brother was the most educated, brilliant man I've ever had the presence of being before. And he was difficult. He was hard. And he was nitpicky when you wrote your assignments. Oh, he was on us. But after a while, the man that I once feared and resisted, I started saying, wait a minute now. I like him because I sense that he likes me. He's just not trying to make life miserable for me. He wants to press me to bring out the best in me. And when I saw that he had that kind of love for me, I started raising my game. I started rising up. And I started getting some good checks on my paper and not just all that red that can be on your paper. (laughs) And now today I thank God for that man because the best teachers will press you. Your parents should press you. Oh, I don't have time. But a lot of time our kids get mad when we press them just a little bit. But when we're pressing them, we're doing that to bring out the best that is in them, but they're looking at us like we're trying to hurt them. No, we haven't hurt you yet. No, 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 just... You ever had a coach that pressed you? Sometimes you get on sports teams and you have the coach that doesn't do any conditioning drills. And and you think that that's cool because all the other teams, they're running and doing all that stuff in the weight room. But your coach takes it easy on you. And and that feel good in practice. But when you're in the third quarter, it's like, oh, man, we don't have the gas. I wish I had that other coach that pressed us. Because when you get pressed in practice, you're winning the game. You got to thank God. For a husband that will press a wife. For a wife that oppress a husband. For a pastor that oppress a church. Paul said in Galatians, have I become your enemy because I speak the truth to you? 
and I've had some people bless me out, and it wasn't in Jesus' name because I pressed them. <laughs> but I'm going to press you anyhow because I love you. The pressing process is usually not enjoyable. When pressed, olives often object, saying, why are you pressing me this way? When pressed, grapes often gripe, saying, why are you stepping on me like this? Well, if I don't step on you, we can't get that juice out of you. And when the juice come out of you, it'll make somebody else happy. The clay sometimes complains and says, why are you pressing in on me like that? Because the artist is pressing the clay to mold the clay, to shape the clay, to form the clay, to make the clay into a masterpiece. Because without the pressing and over time, it will only be a mound of clay. But through the pressing and the eye and the vision of the architect or the sculptor, the mass of clay becomes a masterpiece. The pressing, the pressing. And this morning, y'all, I, I had a conversation with my pants. I had a conversation with my pants because my pants sometimes protest. <laughs> if the olives object and the grapes gripe and the clay complains, my pants protest. And this morning, I laid them on the ironing board. And my pants spoke to me and said, uh, why are you going to put that hot iron on me. Your pants don't talk to you. Your clothes don't talk to you. Mine talk to me all the time. And I said to my pants, I said, uh, I'm going to press you. Then my pants said, uh, will it hurt? I said, absolutely, it's going to hurt. Then my pants said, uh, pastor, my pants called me pastor. Uh, uh, pastor, how long will you press me? I spoke back to my pants and said, I'm going to press you for as long as it takes to get them wrinkles up out of you. <laughs> Got to get them wrinkles up out of you. The only way to get them wrinkles up out of you is to press you with some heat. And so then my pants said, okay, okay, you're going to press me. I, I, I get it. Uh, uh, how will I look when you finish pressing me? I said to my pants, you're going to look great because the wrinkles are going to be out of you. And so my pants had one last question. They said, okay, I get it. You're trying to get the wrinkles out of me because Christ is going to get the wrinkles out of his bride. So my question is, will you burn me with the iron? And I said to my pants, of course I won't burn you. I'm paying too much attention to the process of pressing to burn you. And besides that, I paid too much money to burn you. No, 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 no. You cost too much for me to burn you. And so the Lord is saying, I paid too much for y'all. I didn't pay for y'all with gold and silver and corruptible things. I paid for you with the blood of my son. The last thing I'm going to do is burn you when you're pressed. It's going to be hot, but I won't burn you. So when we're in the press, we need to know something. We need to know the what is greater than the why. Look at verse 3. 
And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations knowing that. Tribulation is going to do something. It's going to produce perseverance, which is the ability to endure under a heavy weight. And perseverance, verse 4, is going to produce character, which is the proof that you've persevered because you're still standing. And then the character is going to produce hope. Hope is a positive expectation for the future because God has worked with you in the past and in the present. And if he can get you through in the past and the present, you know he can get you through in the future. So when you're going through something, you got hope. And so all of this is going to happen. You got to know what is going to happen to you. But too often when I'm being pressed, I ask, why is this happening to me? As opposed to, Lord, what are you doing in me. Oh, I'm a mess with you. I'm coming down your street. Got to drop some mail off in your box. As one preacher said, I'm about to find out the flavor of your Kool-Aid with this comment right here. Because a lot of us, when we go through, I know I'll testify. I usually say, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing this pressing to happen? Lord, why am I going through this tribulation? Lord, I just came out of a storm. I checked the weather report. I didn't think another storm was coming so soon. Why, God? And if you keep asking why, why start sounding like a whine? Why? Why? Throw a pity party. Sitting out invitations, then get mad that don't nobody come to the pity party. But rather than asking why, God says, why don't you start asking what? What are you doing in me, God? Obviously, you know I need some more heat. Obviously, you know I need some more pressing. Obviously, you're trying to make me look more like Jesus. And the only way I can look like Jesus is for you to press me. So I need to recognize that the what is greater than the why. Because God will press you to bring out the best you. And he'll use school and he'll use life to press you so that you can be the best you. So don't resist the process. As my elder said, it's tempted to quit when you're in that process. But you got to keep in mind there's a purpose in the press. God is pressing people so that he can make them the best people so that they can bless people. And justification makes us like Jesus. It makes us like Jesus. So when we go to heaven, we're going to have a body like Jesus. John 17, God loves us as he loves his son, Jesus. We want those eternal benefits of sonship and being adopted. And Christ is the firstborn among many brethren. We love all of that eternal benefit. But God says, not only do I want you to be like my son in heaven, but I want you to be like him on earth. Because on earth, God says, I didn't even spare my son from pressing. You want to be like him? You're going to have to get pressed. Because Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden of Gethsemane, when you break down that word etymologically, that word means Gethsemane. It means press. Because in that garden, it was next to an olive tree grove. And the olives would be harvested and pressed not far from that garden. It was called Gethsemane, the place of the press. 
So Jesus, before he went to his mission, his ultimate mission of going to the cross, he had to be pressed first. And the Bible says in Isaiah that it pleased the Lord to bruise or to press Christ. Because Jesus would go into that garden struggling because he was a man just like us, yet without sin. He went into that garden struggling. He said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. He just left the upper room. They had just sang a hymn. In other words, he just left church, but now he had to fulfill his assignment of going to Calvary, and he knew the cost of that assignment. It was time. It was predetermined from eternity that he had to go to Calvary, but right before Calvary, he stopped off at the garden, which was a place he would regularly go to pray with his disciples, the olive press. And he said, my soul is sorrowful, even to death. Another version in Luke says that he was in agony. But I need to let you know that Jesus came out of the press differently than how he went in. Jesus went into the garden struggling, but he came out of the garden strong. Because in the press, it's dark. In the press, your friends will go to sleep on you. In the press, you have to learn to pray for yourself. Because even when you try to call your prayer partners, they might not answer the phone. They may not see your text. So that's why you got to know God for yourself. And the purpose of the press is to bring you closer to God. The intimacy. And so Jesus got close to his father in the garden. In the press, you wrestle with God's will for your life. Oh, Father, if it be your will, let this stuff I'm struggling with or I'm about to struggle with, let it pass from me. You're struggling with God, but then you submit to God in the press and say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I submit to you in the press. God won the wrestling match in the press. And in the press, you'll sweat. You'll sweat, as it were, like great drops of blood. Your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit will be pushed to the limit in the press. Because in the press, the warfare is so intense that God has to send some good angels to come and help you out. Because you're in the press, you're in the crucible, you're in the fire. And in the press, most of us are tempted to quit. There are a lot of people who can't stand up here or walk across the stage because it got too hard, and they quit. Some people have circumstances beyond their control, and they got to finish later. But a lot of other people just drop out because it's too hard. But when you make it through the press, you come out at your best. And when you make it through that situation, you know God can get you through the next situation because you learned something about endurance. You learned something where your character was developed. And your hope got stronger. When you make it through the press, you come out at your best. And that's why Jesus said when he came up out of that garden, he said, y'all, come on, let's go. Rise up, let's go. My betrayer is at hand. I'm ready to go. Let's go. I'm ready to face my cross. If you're in the press today, don't ask why. Ask what? What are you developing in me? 
and his Christ-like maturity. Yeah, that's what he's doing. Oh, to the graduates, you made it. But it's a commencement, and it's a beginning for the next chapter you're about to go through. And because you made it in high school, Jamal, you can graduate from college. That's right, that's right. I know Dr. Allen had some moments where she was struggling in her doctoral program, didn't know if she would make it, but she hung in there. She had people praying for her, but above all, she was praying to God and getting to know him in a way she wouldn't have known him apart from that tribulation. And that's why God does it. So stand with me on your feet as we trust the God of the press. And Sister Mona will come and close us in prayer. <laughs>